Welcome to the Inside Events Podcast, brought to you by SwapCard. There's no better time to have exclusive conversations with the industry professionals who are reshaping the events industry. We're bringing you inside knowledge from industry leaders. Let's get started with your host, Megan Powers. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode two of the Inside Events podcast. Well, the um, reaction to episode one has been tremendous. Really out of the gate, super happy with all the comments we're getting and um, everyone really enjoyed the conversation with our guests, Julius and Nick, on episode one. I'm your host, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing. We provide strategic marketing support for small to medium-sized businesses, and I put big emphasis on event technology. So this is my space. All right, so if you have any feedback for us, please go ahead and contact us through our Twitter. It's probably a really good spot, and our Twitter handle is at the event profs. Our show today, albeit only the second one, is going to be a different one uh, than most because we have the CEO and co-founder of our title sponsor, Swapcard, on with us today. Baptiste Boulard is going to chat news with me, and then he too will be a guest alongside Simon Foster. Welcome. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, Megan. Hi. Nice for hosting me today. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, I, I didn't ask you if you wanted me to say this or not, but you're on holiday, so <laughs> we appreciate you <laughs> taking the time. Um, with your tan face to uh, to join us uh, for what I think is going to be a really good conversation um, with yourself and Simon. I'm going to give your bio. Uh, Baptiste swapped his career in law to launch SwapCard alongside two childhood friends with a vision to change the way people network at events. Baptiste is now leading a team of nearly 35 people with offices in Paris, Dubai, and Canada. SwapCard invests a lot on AI and is taking on the European market, taking the European market by storm with a global platform designed to answer the biggest challenges of event organizers. He loves to work hand in hand with event organizers to make their events more interactive, transparent, and data driven. That's correct. <laughs> All right, so before we get into the news, we're gonna have two couple of news topics before then we move on to speak with Simon. Um, I need to know how on earth did you transition from law to starting an event technology company? Um, I always been very curious. And when I was a lawyer, because my background with my experience, I start to hit a plateau of my knowledge. And I decided that uh, I didn't want to do that career for all my life. I was still very young. So I decided to change. And I wanted to create something, like build something that could last. Um, I believe that I have just one life and so I should do the best to get something of my life and I think that building something is amazing. This is why I became an entrepreneur and then the idea was a long time idea about uh, helping people swapping business cards and having a network that can be always up to date. And when we decided to launch card, we say, oh, where do we exchange business cards? Uh, at events. So we decided like to work with event organizers to help people to just exchange with that card at first. And then this is why we're called Swap Card. And, and since that day, we have worked with more and more clients asking more and more features because they have lots of challenges. And then Swap Card as today as an event platform has been born that way. Gotcha. And working with two childhood friends, that must be pretty fun, hey? 
Yeah, I would say especially the early days when we had like no pressure, uh, we were like really learning, um, was, everything was new for us. So we had like an amazing time and now I think that uh, it's different because we have more pressure, we are growing very fast, but we still have that trust and that uh, transparent way of, of um, collaborating and we I definitely, it doesn't work all the time. I know that it sometimes doesn't work for entrepreneurs. For us, it's one of our strengths and advantages. Awesome. Well, okay, so um, the first article we're gonna talk about is uh, how can data be used to affect exhibitor satisfaction? So the crux of the article basically boils down to this, the, one of the first statements in it, according to recent research on exhibitor advocacy, exhibition organizers share the same customer satisfaction levels as banks, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty harsh, right? It's, uh, so, and it goes on to say exhibitors who have a successful show are satisfied customers and ultimately will rebook. So the trick, it goes to say, is actually in using the data that's gathered, um, which show organizers have, have been hesitant to do, uh, is shared in the article also, also to prove the value of mm. the show. Um, our, our guest on our next uh, show is Adam um, Perry, and he said, in the article, we've always focused on three key principles when looking at tech to incorporate uh, to the event, attendee experience, exhibitor satisfaction, and revenue generation. So, Baptiste, what type of data do you think are the most valuable and um, what ways can show organizers use this data? The reason why you would exhibit at the company, there is two reasons. The first reason is visibility and the other reason is lead generation. I think most exhibitors come from for the lead generation. There is like sponsor, but uh, they don't mind need like the lead generation, but more the visibility of the show. Um, I think the most precious uh, data you can provide to an exhibitor are just the number of leads they, they got. Um, there is many, many events where there is no data, no dashboard, um, and it's very, there is different reason why. There is like old fashioned, uh, hardware you know that you use for scanning badges uh, this has no interface no dashboard you're waiting for one week um, to get your leads so i think this is one of the piece of the event tech that should move on to something like a software where you can see your dashboard in real time and i think also the visibility parts should be important but it's very hard to measure that right well it's funny you say a week or more um i have had experiences where we got we got the data real time but by and large i think it's uh something that it fails exhibitors i had a really terrible experience in december where as soon as i looked at the device i knew that we were doomed because all it did was uptick a number i couldn't even see the person's name let alone add any notes and then ultimately we didn't get our list scanned please yeah definitely so this is i think for all clients when we discuss with them when we are explaining the platform we we said to them that the scanning of badges should not be think at the revenue revenue generator like most clients think it should be a data collector and this should be mandatory when in your uh, exhibition fee and then you'll make sure that all your exhibitor has the lead capture not just for one site but for the global team then you have the dashboard then you have the data and through the data you can improve the return of the investment right 
Right, so one of the things also the article said uh, is proving the naysayers wrong is key. Um, showing them the data of what's happening. Uh, so, you know, you can show the other exhibitors how many leads those um, that they're generating. But here's the thing, like you can't tell how they're converted or the real value of them, um, but you can see that you're delivering on, on what you said you would. So now this is the thing, right? Like proving it only shows traffic and leads gathered. The conversion part is super important. So I'm curious, as I, as I read that, can we take it a step further in following up with our exhibitors on their results? Is that something that, that you have thought about? Yeah, so I think the first thing is like to qualify the leads. Uh, again, with new lead capture, you can qualify the lead. So then you can see if it's a bad or a qualified lead. And then I think also it's, um, I have read a study that said that a third of the lead generated at an event are never they contacted. Uh, there's many reasons why, but it's very hard to get all the lead of all the sales. Um, but it's also um, a culture and cultural change because exhibitors, they, they, they don't really, let's say, like event organizers, they don't really trust them. Um, many reasons, the price. Um, but so they don't want you to handle their follow-ups. But definitely, if we don't help them following up and adding at least the lead in their CRM or marketing automation tool, then there is no point to come to an event to get leads that you don't contact. But there is another way to measure the return of investment. It's to look at the number of qualified leads that they got. And then to, to, if you know the acquisition cost of a lead in your industry, then you can at least see the return of investment they can get. Right, if they convert them, that's just, well, and that's a, that's a finite number though, right? Like I'm thinking bigger number, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit more with um, Simon, but I, I actually did my master's thesis on the value of face-to-face -face versus online communication within the context of trade shows. Really? So, yeah, so um, I, it was just five years ago, so I, it, it, then I, I think the data still holds up. But yeah, like you said, uh, it's, it depends who you ask, but something like 70 to 80% of leads don't even get followed up on, which is just like, Amazing. Uh, it's incredibly frustrating to me as a marketer that people um, do that. Within my survey, 90% um, of people said they were diligent about prep for their show, about what they were going to do going into it and who they thought they wanted to meet or whatnot. Um, but only like 60% of them said that they were good about follow-up. And I think it was even a smaller percentage of that actually um, followed through. So I just feel like there's an opportunity in the industry to, to get those numbers later. Because another thing that, that was said in, in this survey is there were a lot of executives who felt like, well, we just have to be there. We're just, it, we're just showing, you know, it's, it's branding. Our competitors are there. We just have to be at the show. And and they don't really expect much to come out of it, whereas their um, exhibitor, their salespeople or marketing people who are manning the booth have sort of different perspectives on that. But my take is that as somebody who's worked in sales in, in the industry for a long time, there is value in a show no matter when that show gets converted, right? If I met somebody at IBTM World, like I did Jack in uh, 2000, um, 16 
there, for me, there's value in that show, even though we didn't end up working together until three years later. Do you know what I mean? So I, yep. there's a disconnect between salespeople and the executives, I think, on what is success, first of all. But there's also a missing link in how to, how to track it back. And I don't, I don't know how to, we can't solve all the problems of the world. We're, we're, we yep. don't have that much time. <laughs> it's very hard there because um, it's not just the volume of lead. You know, it's the lasting relationship you can build. Exactly. Uh, and it's also the average size deal. You can have just one lead, but if it's a very qualified lead, then it's worth it. We went last year to Comfex. Um, it's an event uh, trade show in, in UK. Um, and we have been able to meet a head of digital of Clarion, head of digital on Informa. Um, and it was really nice at least to talk to them. They discovered the platform, they really like it. And we know it's a very long-term process to get this kind of account. But, so the return of investment could be zero, but we have met people that it was we could not uh, easily meet them. So there is like there is this is why event organizers really have a struggle to provide the dashboard. First of all, because they don't have the right technology. Second of all, they are not data driven. Uh, most of exhibitors they are selling. Um, I mean, event organizers they are selling square meter instead of lead generation. And then it's very hard to know what the return of investment within one year, two years, three years, what is the average size is. So it's, it's a very complex industry to have this kind of data for the exhibitor and know where, what's your success. Right. So internally, how are you going to track your return on investment for that show? Uh, well, we do the same than most company. Uh, we add it to the CRM and then we try to follow up. And then we, when we close, we can see the volume um, of, of quote sign. And then we, we compare the cost and the, and the price um, generated. So this is for the short term uh, return of investment. Then the long term return on investment is being able to keep the source of where you met that person. So in our CRM, when we have we attend many, many events because we often do on-site support for our main clients and we get leads uh, while using the platform and want to use it. And so we always add the source of the event where we met that person. So for Comfex, even if we sign something in three years, um, we will remember that it was Comfex 2019. Yeah, well, I mean, it should be tagged in your CRM, right, by show? A, a lot of people do. miss that. They, they get the list and then they don't properly label, you know, where it's, the people came. Yeah, it's also an event you have the executive, we say, okay, let's let's go to that uh, show. Then you have the side rep, then you have the marketing. It's not always the same uh, team. They don't always collaborate well. There may be no defined process. So this is one of the reasons, as you said, there is lots of lead who are not follow up or just um, the, the data is uh, not in the right way. So we, we this is something we're trying to innovate. Um, so we have synchronized WAPCAD with Salesforce. And if you're an exhibitor, by scanning badges, you can add tags and it can be linked to your CRM. So if you have custom fields, um, you can link all these fields with uh, swap card. And so when your leads will go directly to the CRM. So at least you know that your leads go to the CRM with the right data that you want. So it's easier to track the return of investment. Right. Okay, excellent. Well, we're gonna we have we're a little short on time for the news segment. Let's go over um, one one more thing. 
uh, event manager blog uh, put out an article that actually was uh, to their insights membership um, about securing attendees email. Um, so the title of the, of the article is, is your event being scammed data thieves target events. So basically spammers are trying to sell email addresses, full lists of attendees, although I guess there's some question of whether they actually get everyone or not. But um, so, and they're sending, selling them to companies who would want to target them. And the article said, figuring out how spammers operate is the first step in outsmarting them. Some use spider bots to scan websites for email addresses while others target security weaknesses in event apps. To make it even more difficult to access your app fraudulently, you can secure it with passcode that you share with only official registrants. Okay, so, I mean, this dates way back. This isn't new uh, data mining, right? Uh, back when I used to sell audiovisual production, companies were faxing uh, our exhibitors, trying to get them to use them for the audiovisual uh, equipment instead of us. Um, so and then housing companies you know have been have been trying to get people to book with them and instead of in the room block um i actually have a past client who used to buy lists and actually converted quite a bit of business out of it they're not doing it anymore thankfully but um, i was aghast when they said that um, anyway so it's not new but how should app companies be protecting their attendees in this way um so the, the data mining i think it not it's something with getting easier to do um, because events are becoming more and more transparent. The first reason why we attend an event is to network. And they, and now we can see that in most event tabs, there is the attendee list. Um, I would say for trade show, they are, don't really like to open their databases, but uh, they, will, they will have to because this is what the market is asking. So I want, I want to say that event organizers are becoming more and more transparent and and trying to, they used to have, um, let's say, a boundary between the visitor and the exhibitor part, where the exhibitor is visible and the attendees' visitor part is, no, is not uh, visible. So it's long, no longer the case. It's more and more transparent, more and more open. So you, the attendee list is more accessible. This is the first um, movement, let's say. And then also the ability to hack. There is different way to hack. Um, you can bridge the security of the event platform. In that case, it, sh it should not happen if your provider has a strong security processes. But then it's very hard to just book a ticket uh, if it's a free or even a paid, let's say, conference and access the attendee list. And then if it's, if it's at the mobile app, it's very hard to crawl the data. But if it's a web app that most platforms do provide now, because we know that people use more web apps than mobile apps, so you definitely need a web app, uh, people can scroll and get, they can get access to all your attendee list. But they should not get the email. I think they don't get the email. But what they do is that it's very easy to rebuild an email when, when you know what the format of a company. Um, so um, there is different ways. It's not always breach, you know. It's it's just uh, having a gross hacker who can get that list. What I always say to my clients is, "Hey, we don't want to open the attendee list in case they fear in case an, a competitor is coming to our show, what they must do, and get access to the attendee list." And I, what I will always answer, and they, it's yes. But there's so many ways to get access to your data. I can build your data in less than an hour on LinkedIn. I can have the 
I can target very specific people, specific interest, specific, specific location, whatever. I can build your list and the list of any show in an hour with Sales Navigator. Your, your competitive advantage is not the database. It's the face-to-face -face meeting and making sure people interact each other offline. And your, this is your, you, so don't try to protect your database. This is ridiculous. You will never be able to do it. Make sure you can improve the face-to-face -face interaction at your show. And this is the value of you as an event organizer. I love it. Yeah, well, and uh, yeah, that, that says a lot, especially with GDPR and everything. There's, there's things in place, right? And you have encryption in your app, I'm sure. But I think that's a great point. Uh, and a really good point to end on before we uh, move on to chat with Simon Foster. I know we have lots of great questions for him. So, um, all right, that is the news portion of the show. We will say hello to Simon Foster. Welcome to the second half of the second episode of Inside Events by Swapcard. And our guest today is the incomparable Simon Foster. Welcome, Simon. Hi, good to be here. Um, I know uh, we're really happy to have you on, and I, I think this was um, Baptiste's request, was it not? Was Yeah, it was, I think. <laughs> yeah, reading uh, Simon's article recently, I said we should definitely invite him to the podcast. Well, Thank you. And I think it's great because it's a good mix of, uh, I'm based in the U.S., uh, and so my, I, have, I have familiarity with the European meetings and events market, of course, but uh, it's different, and uh, there's different companies in uh, different spaces, and, um, and I know you've worked in all of them, Simon, so, um, and we'll get into that. I'll share your bio here in just a sec, but I like that on this show, we're going to have a variety of, uh, of European and U.S.-based event professionals on, um, which I think will give us really a great variety in, uh, in the quality and the, and the conversations, because I think the conversations are a bit different. Um, even though we all face so similar things, there's, you know, different things happen in different markets. And so I'm going to read Simon's bio. Simon Foster is CEO of Comexposium. Comexposium has grown from being the largest event organizer in France to become the third largest events organizer globally. Simon began in the exhibition and media business in the early 1990s as a marketing professional and immediately fell in love with the industry. He focuses his work on a simple philosophy of always striving to create connections by bringing communities together to build relationships and develop business opportunities. Focusing on customers and communities, Comexposium's teams strive to embrace change and globally create more effective and innovative ways to bring people together. He is and has been a chair and on the board for many industry associations. Simon has lived and worked in France, England, the Netherlands, and the United States and has run businesses and led events all over the world. Quite a bio there, Simon. Sounds good, doesn't it? I don't know who wrote that, but it sounds very good. <laughs> <laughs> we laughed the, the, on the last show. I don't know if you've listened to episode one or not, but uh, both the guests commented about how it makes makes people a little like hot under the collar when they hear all of their all of the things that they've done. <laughs> yeah, particularly makes me feel old when you remind me that I started in the 1990s. I'd just like to get on record. I was very, very young when I started. <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. This kid over here could be our kid, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. just that's the, best thing, that's the best, the best thing about this industry. It's full of uh, 
young, cool people. And uh, I sometimes, some days I like to think I'm still one of them, but uh, most days my body reminds me I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you are. Well, and it's with that wisdom, right, that we'll, we'll talk about um, today that you, uh, you know, the, help the industry along. All right, so um, you, like myself, call yourself a marketer. Uh, I love that. And I uh, was a marketer. And two, as you mentioned in your uh, exhibition news article, ended up in the, in, in the industry on accident. Although, I mean, I was, as a marketing communications manager, I was managing our trade show participation. So still, I was planning events and that sort of thing. But I wasn't in the industry, you know, as I, as I eventually um, came to be when I'm starting to work in a venue and then kind of moving forward from there. Um, but I like, it's, it was interesting to me how you talked about kind of the difference between sales and marketing and myself having been a person in the industry in both. I, it's interesting the different perspectives on that. To me, marketing feeds the funnel, right? If marketing's doing their job well, they are feeding the funnel for the salespeople, no? Well, yes and no. And I, it does sound like your background is very similar to mine. I, I qualified as a marketer and knew marketing was what I do. And then I discovered events as a, as a real like part of that, as a real way of, like, you know, marketing, where what we do, we're making connections comes to life. But I think what I often say to investors and other people who don't know our industry very well is actually slightly different from what you've said. From my experience, initially growing up in Europe and then, as you say, going around the world was, unlike most industries, in, in events in particular, although it was, it was a media at the same time, so there was a lot of magazines and events together, it was very separate into that, that the salespeople were selling space, advertising space or exhibition space, square footage, square meters, whatever, and sponsorship and all the things that go with that. Whereas the marketing job was solely responsible for the, um, for the audience, whether that was the, the readers of the magazine, nowadays the, the readers of the website, or the attendees or delegates of the show, that was the key difference. And actually, there wasn't really that much of a direct relationship, to your point, of feeding the funnel. Um, sales often did their own marketing, and marketing was delivering the product. In many ways, marketing, or what we call marketing, is much more the product. Right. Um, what I do think has happened, and I, I think you're right, in the US, I think that's traditionally been slightly different, and that relationship's been stronger. But throughout the rest of the world now, that's really becoming much more a big part of what we're trying to do. And as marketers tran transform in the business or, or change going forward i'm seeing two things one is that we need more specialists in terms of marketers so i was regarded myself as a jack of all trades you know i could do direct mail if you remember direct mail from uh, yeah i could do email i you know you'd have to learn a bit about social media as that came along you were doing uh, design and, and, and content now you need to be, it's, it's not so easy to be a jack of all trades because you have to be highly specialist in social media and highly specialist in, in content and highly specialist in, in all sorts of other digital and data te uh, technology and data science. And therefore, I think marketing is evolving much more into specialists and, and driving that. And as a result of that, the second thing that's also happening is marketers are becoming much more because of their use of digital their use of data able also to drive that sales funnel which in turn is making us certainly in europe and, and, and what i know in asia is drive our sales teams then to be much more focused on just doing the sales what most industries would regard as sales and, and, and less of the others so 
I think marketing's always been trans, uh, it's been a key part of it and, and, and is definitely trans, uh, transforming as, we, as the industry moves forward and as the power of data and the power of digital become uh, enable us to do even more. The power of data, we'll get into that, right? Batiste, what's your take on, on sort of this, just briefly before we move on to the questions, uh, the difference between marketing and sales and, and how, how you all approach it? Yeah, so um, I'm a lawyer. I used to be a lawyer, so I like to convince, provide argument and logic. I'm more a salesperson. Uh, I'm still running our sales team who are like seven people. But I also love to be involved into the marketing because I like to, to draft. Uh, so I do, let's say, a mix of marketing and, um, and sales. But based on what Simon just said, I think the marketing role has evolved so much for the last five years and will, especially for the event industry, will, will be more and more sophisticated, so many channels. The data is just enormous. We work with Comexposium and event organizer. And right now we know that even if we provide lots of data, lots of statistics, there is many things that they don't extract the value. Um, and I think this is the sales part is, it's, of course, there is new platforms, there is new way approaching GDPR. Uh, you have to respect this. So it's less about the, more about the coding than used to be the emails. Uh, but it's, I would say still the same job since it has started um, but your clients are more sophisticated um, and they do more research when you contact them so you need to be an expert of your industry and challenge them that's what we like to do to challenge our clients um, so i would say that um, just in the marketing part yes definitely you need to be let's say kind of a jedi and you need to really really work with the data. And, and I think the event industry is not yet at that space because um, I would say maybe one of our clients really use the data we provide to make the show better. Most of them, they look at the report, they do the report, but as Simon said in his article, they have lots of stuff to do and they have to deliver the next show. And it's very hard to have the time to sit and look at the data and try to understand the data. And I think this is one of the big next challenge for our clients is to know what they can do with the data we are collecting through digital platform. I've been hearing this for more than a year now. We have so many resources, there's so much data that nobody's doing anything with it. So, so yeah, so that's a, I mean, not nobody, but it's by and large, like you, like you just said, like it's, it's a challenge. And I think it's like, we get head down, right. And like, we're just doing the work. And um, so I think uh, challenging clients to take a step back. What, what, can, what but, I can see in the Europe, European market for large, large, large clients, the first thing they do is there right now, there's lots of independent event organizer, Trichel who are changing their CRM. So the first thing they know is that the database must be collected and may, they must structure their database, get rid of lots of data, and they are putting in place CRM. Uh, it's always Salesforce. I know that uh, Exposium use Salesforce. So this is the first thing they do. And then it's um, once the Salesforce is in place, they have educated people to use Salesforce. Then it's about the marketing automation tool. And then it will be about using the data and have a specific 
message and use the AI. But what I can see in the Europe, European market, it's right now lots of players are moving to the Ethereum. So I think they would use the data in three to five years. Um, for Comexposium, you already have the tool, you have invested in new people, a new job, people who come from the retail, omni-canal experience, so they can bring knowledge. And I think Comexposium, you have a large ambition, as you said, is a bit an advance with independent event organizer on that part. Yeah, if I can just add, Megan, if you don't mind. Okay. I, you know, I, 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 I think everything you just said there is true. I, 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 you could see me shaking my head. I don't think all exhibition organizers are not using data. I think absolutely. In fact, I'd argue that the whole basis of this industry has always been about data, right? It's been about buyers and sellers and, what, and bringing them together. Traditionally, that's been based on being embedded in an industry and using anecdotal and other knowledge that either salespeople, editors, or others bring together. And now we're moving much more into the power of actually what we can learn about people because both exhibitors and visitors want to, want to get better ROI, yes, but they also want to have a more personalized experience and a, and a more precise experience of matching the right people with each other while still maintaining the live experience and the serendipity that we, that we can create albeit I believe we can create more serendipity by better use of data. There's undoubtedly a challenge of what, what we said is that, yes, our teams are often driven by too many deadlines. We often run small teams because, because that's, that's, that's how we can do it. And as a result, those teams are very focused on both the delivery of their event and what's going in on their industry and their relationships. And, and, and it's also driven by the fact that as we want to change what we're doing, as we start to look at the data and driving things, we really also have to not just break up the, the, the repetition of what we're doing, but really find a way of adding in those new experiences to what we're doing. Yes, we're creating a lot of data. Yes, we're investing in marketing automation. But when you're doing that, you said about Salesforce, you've also got to remember that in every exhibition business that I've ever worked in, and I've joined several all over the world, not only is there that distinction between sales and marketing, which is blurring now as we move forward, there's also when we talk about data, we are constantly debating whether we are talking about exhibitor data, sales data, or visitor data. And they're not often viewed as the same. We have it, you know, most businesses will separate that. We're trying to merge that, not necessarily because we want them to be the same, but because we understand the power of being able to learn more as they integrate. But both of those are real challenges. And so you talk to most exhibition businesses about CRM, they're thinking about their sales database. They're not thinking about their visitor database. And yet their visitor database, our visitor databases, is our product. It's what we sell. The quality of the connection we sell to a, um, an exhibitor is not the, the, the nice booth we sell and the square meters we sell and the place on the website. That's how we monetize it. The quality of what we sell is the number and the, the quality of the visitors that walk into them, either physically on the booth or connect to them as a result of the ecosystem that we create. And our ability to work with that visitor database is where much more of the challenges of the future is going to be. And as I say, the fact that we distinguish between the two is also part of the problem of, uh, of why the industry has been slower to move, in my, in my view. So... I dove right in with a question that struck me, which as I tend to do, and the, the flow of a show. Um, but I, can we take a step backwards and can you just, uh, for those who don't know, tell us about Comexposium and um, what you all do and um, what you're up to. 
Come Exposium is the best company in the world, so that's probably the one. <laughs> okay. No, Come Exposium is, as you said, we're 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 a very large, uh, well, very large. There's, there's there's the informers in the reeds of this world, and then we're in the uh, we're, we're 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 smaller than them, but we're in that next tier of, of large businesses. We are the third largest uh, pure player in the world. But size is not everything. We, we have a real mixture. We're, we have a very long history in France. We, we, we've been there for over 113 years. We were original uh, Foire de Paris, as it's called, which one of the venues in Paris was built for. And we have some extremely old and extremely well-embedded B2C shows that anybody in French culture, I'm sure Baptiste, you or somebody in your family would have been to Salon Agriculture. And if you're from Paris, you would have been to Foire de Paris. These are huge events that are I can't really describe as how well embedded they are, but more importantly, we also have a real wide range of other B2B events. So we run the biggest food franchise in the world, which is the CR thing. We also have some military security. We have some uh, other franchise events in the US and around the world, and a whole range. We work in a whole bunch of different markets. We have, in fact, 360 odd events during the year. And the key, the key that we've been doing, the key strategy we have is, yes, to could drive our internationalization and take some of our brands more internationally. So only this week we have the car show in Indonesia that's taking place and we have a, a, a stationary show in, in China. And throughout all of them, not only are we trying to be more international, we're also trying to improve what we do and gain our recognition of how we work forward. So as Baptiste said, one of the things that I'm trying to drive through the business and we're working together is to improve the way we sell, improve the way we market. And that's where our investment in data has come from and where our investment in, uh, not just in data actually, but exactly as Betty said, in data, data skills and digital skills that allow us to use the data. Because for me, the two are the same, right? As I said, the data has always been there. Yes, I know we're getting more and more of it, but what digital gives us to do is the ability to better analyze that better understand that and then perhaps more importantly better leverage that whether it's marketing automation or other tools to, to drive that forward so the goal of com exposure is to continue to grow internationally is continue to to establish ourselves on the international stage but also continue to really drive the best way of delivering events whether those are large b2c events b2b events or some really cool interesting one-to-one -one meeting events that we have that are, that are that are very special i think we'd like to do more of as well which even more need that quality of digital and data. Any thoughts on that? Um, no, the, um, I know what ComExposium is trying to do. What I can see that um, in many players in Europe, they are all under uh, leverage buyout, so they have lots of uh, new investors. Uh, ComExposium just changed his main shareholder recently. Um, so they, they invest a lot, but I've in my perspective, I think they invest a lot in bringing this very strong brand abroad, like like the French French show that Simon was saying. One of the reasons is that it's they. This is where is the knowledge right now of an event organizer. It's about delivering a show, the complexity of a show. As I said before, in the first part, even if I was able to replicate the database of Comexposium of all their show. I don't have the knowledge to produce the show. As I say, I, I can see Comexposium investing in marketing, but I can still see that many of my clients, they don't really invest into marketing, um, not much. It's very hard to get the budget, let's say, as an event platform. Clients always want to buy your solution because we improve the return of investment, we get the data, but my, 
our challenge, me and my, let's say, competitor is to get the budget. I always say to my clients, my true competitor is the Excel sheet of their budget. And the marketing team very often has a very limited line. It's very hard to be able to work with the show team because their budget is just not here. So what I always do is that I go and speak with the sales team and we generate a new revenue out of the platform so they can pay and they can get the data. But very often the marketing wants, but they don't have the, the budget to do that. And the budget, sorry, Simon, is mostly used to go international. This is what I see. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I no. Your previous point's very well made. There's there's a challenge in our industry to fund the investment, and you're right. Marketing again, because it's seen as, as as just delivering the visitors, it's seen as a cost. It's an investment, but from the financial perspective, it's seen as a cost. Whereas sales is seen as as the revenue. And as I say, even though I think we need to think much more that the the visitor audience is what's creating the revenue, and therefore that's where the value came. So it's, it's harder when you're talking to the CFO to try and get that. So I think your approach is very sensible going to the market, sorry, going to the sales side and talking about how they can generate more revenue. We've, we've spent an awful lot of time with our marketing teams and with our sales teams as we've done this investment in, the, in our database, in our data skills, in our, in our data and our digital uh, um, teams. We've spent an awful lot of time talking to the teams about making sure we can understand what the ROI is, making sure not only regenerating revenue, but our cost of visitor acquisition is, is at least balanced or going down and that our cost of sales is going down as well as generating new revenue. So I agree, I agree it's key. I don't, the bit I don't agree with is that, you know, as ComExposure, we are investing across all of France and, 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 and internationally. But what's interesting from your point was, the brand I was talking about in food is CL. CL is, if not the number one is up there, there's no show better in terms of an international show. And what's interesting is CL takes place in France, in Indonesia, in China, in Canada, um, Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi, and India. Uh, and we are looking to do more of them. And it's, 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 a, it's a fantastic franchise. But the key, interestingly, is it's often very easy to take exhibitors there because we know the exhibitors. The exhibitors will say, I want to go and train in, trade in the Middle East. I want to go and trade in, the, uh, in India. And they trust us and they will come with us. And then we combine that with some local sales. My salespeople would kill me for saying that, but that's actually the relatively easy bit. Mm -hmm. The difficult bit is identifying the right audience in the Middle East or identifying the right audience in India. The traditional way is to do that with local partners, which we will still continue to do. But actually, it's also where the power of data data analytics, digital and what have you can continue to help us to do that because it allows us A, to better identify um, people and better, better, more, more importantly, segment and um, develop personas and, and other elements that we want to do. And that helps us also obviously to understand the key audience, but also helps us to grow the audience and then what we want to do. And that's the more challenging thing when we geo-adapt, as I would like to call it, rather than delivering the exhibitors, which is contrary to what, what most people so, so right now you are investing more in the attendees' acquisition with the marketing than, let's say, the retention, like becoming a media. Do you think like a trade show like Seattle, big trade show, lots of um, place, um, might become a media like Maison et Objet in, in, in France, like a community that can 
can discuss, collaborate through the year? Do you think that one of the show of Comex Podium will become kind of a media and have a new revenue stream through the attendees and not just the exhibitor? Um, I do, I believe it will become a community for 365 days or whatever a year. Absolutely. I think the, the way we can do that, the way we produce content, CL can do it, but we have a very small show in uh, France called Cliche en Savoir-Faire, which is needle craft and sewing and what have you. It's a fantastic community. It's very well defined. The personas and the, 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 the segmentation of who goes are great. And there we're building a club where people can you know, talk about knitting and sewing and other, and other handicaps and what have you. And it's a great model for how we can do that. It's a great way also to learn of how we can then take that forward and build that onto a, a global network like CL. So, yes, I do agree. Maison, Maison d'Objet, one of the things that he has an advantage of is its creative sense, whereas CL is much more industrial. So finding content and how we drive that's important. But if you look at CL, if you look at the things we do, it's there. So, I, yes, I do think we can get longer engagement. And I think it's important because... It's, I think it's important for two reasons. One, it's because it's what the community needs. The, the, the visibility of the show is just one component of when they meet. But secondly, for us, it's a great way of learning more. You know, you mentioned AI, but it, it won't, it's not just AI. It's us being able to learn, you know, what you as Baptiste read, what you do, what you connect on, and be able to then to show you the things that you know you want coming out of the show, either online before, during, or after the show but also to show you the things that you may not have known you wanted to see, because we can more better understand the problems you want to be solving rather than the products you think you should be searching for, um, which is what I talk about when I talk about serendipity. So, and linked to that is, as we learn more, we can produce more content to help you make those decisions and drive forward. So yes, I think community, which is a very overused word in our industry and probably got a bad, bad reputation as much as a good reputation, but the idea of bringing people together and as I say, for me, it's all about thinking about this thing. We are bringing buyers and sellers together. Whether there's somebody who visit one of our consumer show and hand over five euros and buy a bottle of wine or, or a piece of jewelry or something like that, or whether there's someone who's going to our construction show Intermat where they're in part of a 20 year project to build some infrastructure within a company that's got a complex and diverse tender process that's going to take several years to run both of those are buying processes and our job is to understand what the buyers and sellers want that want that will help them make that connection if it's just buying the jewelry maybe it's just making sure they get to the right booth at the right place when they when they're interested in it if it's on the tender it may be providing information about what tenders are available about the clients but more specifically about what technologies are available how things are developing how the process is moving all of the sort of things that you would help to do that, that still help when that connection comes, when you meet each other, you're able to talk in a, in a positive and constructive way and hopefully make that connection that provides business somewhere along the line for you. That's our job. I, I think that what you just said, that it's explained the complexity of event technology, like platform, like us, um, because there is so many events. At every event, there is different, different community who come from different objective and then um, then it's very hard to have a product that answer all these needs and 
and the dream of all our clients is to have this 365 community. When we launched, we were just a networking platform and we always say, open your attendee list because this is what they want to do. So now the market is becoming more transparent, opening their, their database, uh, even to exhibitor. Um, but still, um, the adoption rate is still something really hard to, to get. Um, and I always uh, say to my client who wants to push to the 365 platform, I say, hey, just make sure you have a high adoption at your show, which is still a challenge, many reasons, lack of time, community, uh, and there is, a, uh, of course, we have to educate the people to prepare. I think this is the first challenge of uh, event technology. But what, I, but what you just said, it's like resonating me because um, we try to make our clients better and, and get the data and make sure people use the platform. But it's really hard to have one platform that can answer all um, event organizers like Comexponion needs. And it's a very challenge for event platform like, like Swapcard or all my competitors. It is. Um, although, I, and then it is, I've, I've tried to build several different community platforms and several different things across the, the business with, let's just say, variable success. And you're right, there's sort of, sort of some business challenges, but one of the things I fundamentally believe is, if you boil it all back down to this point that it's all about a buyer and a seller, there are different needs around that, but the principle's still the same. So the platform should still be wanting to do the same thing serve places to chat, serve places that, that, that they can drive content, serve places that enhance that connection. Yes, every market, every show will tell you that construction is different to needleways, different to food. They are in the subject. You know, up until 20 years ago, every B2B community still read a magazine. The magazine was the platform where they exchanged ideas and what have you. They still have events. Events are still surviving as a platform where they exchange ideas. The fundamentals of an event are the same. I believe the fundamentals of technology platforms can be the same as long as we focus on that. I agree, you need adaptability and you need different techniques and ways to do things, but that core principle should always be the same. Because you're also right, you said earlier that um, you know, one of the challenges is we'll be remaking money off the, the community, off the, the audience. Mm. And as I already said, I kind of believe that's what we do anyway. That is what makes our money. But I think that's also a challenge. I've been through several loops of this where we have the big debate. And the big debate is, do you charge the community to be part of that? Do you charge them for the content? It's a bit like, again, old days, magazines, are you a subscription-based where somebody has to pay to be on it? Or are you a controlled circulation? You know, and, and, or are you just an open circulation? Which is the best way to do that? And, and, and or, or are you made on the fact that Actually, you're not going to make money directly from getting users to use it. You're going to make money by the fact that you can better enhance what the advertisers and the exhibitors can get so you can drive more value for them. I mentioned in the, uh, the article I said that we, we run our one-to-one -one events. I mentioned them earlier. The square footage rate and the square meterage rate for our events in one-to-one -one is unbelievably high. It's hundreds of times higher than it would be in an average show. And the reason for that is because it's irrelevant. It's not, the, what they're paying for is the quality of the meeting that they can have and how we control that. And it's very much like an online platform, except for it's live, it's, it's networking, it's controlled one-to-one -one meetings, it's content in terms, of, um, in terms of seminar sessions and what have you, and it's keynotes and entertainment and all those sort of things. And it's, it's kind of doing those. And that's a great, real, real illustration of how 
by being able to deliver a quality audience that's trusted, that is the right people that really want to be there, we actually pay for them to come. But where we do is we're able to charge even more and generate even more revenue from the exhibitor because it's the connection they want to make and because they can see the ROI. So that debate is, is still there. I, I, I've got no doubt that there is value in connect, creating those connections and enhancing the experience for your audience 300 and whatever. You know, there's a lot of debate whether it's 200 days a year or 360, it doesn't matter. For longer than you have for the shows open. Uh, and I think there's value in that, but the, the, the cautionary tale is also, do you try and make money out of charging the audience to be there, or do you just make money by better and enhancing the exhibition, exhibitor revenue? And I've got to be honest, I think the truth is, in liking the old days of magazines, the truth is probably that you, it depends on the market and the model, and you can probably do different ones according to what you've got. It depends on the complexity, but, but, but there's always that challenge to do it. Um, Megan, um, this is a trend we're seeing in the Euro European market that uh, tri show are launching more and more like um, hosted buyer um, kind of matchmaking uh, program into the show. So exhibitor, because they want to have the return of investment and they very hard for it to get to measure this as we discussed because they are lacking the data. They're asking our clients to have uh, to schedule meetings and have less volume, but more qualified meetings. Um, this is something that I can definitely see in the European market. Is it, do you know if in the US we have the same trend or is it just in Europe? Uh, it's been actually for years. As, I mean, I, I'm trying to think back the first MPI WEC, uh, I think was the first show where I ever saw that. And I want to say, uh, eight years ago, seven years what, ago. Was it a trade show? It was a conference that always had a trade show element. So this is something that, that maybe there's a distinction uh, more in the US than in, than in uh, other markets, but there's always to justify attending uh, their, their most a lot of show organizers feel like there needs to be an education component. Everyone has their continuing education credits that they have to get and all of that sort of thing. Simon, what, okay. no, I was just going to absolutely agree with you. My time working in the states, it's a it's a difference between Europe and and the US. The US has been way ahead of the game in making sure there's content because people have to justify going to the show. But on top of that, the US is much more prevalent in generating attendee revenue attending and delegate revenue and people paying to go there and on the back of that they've also been developing planned meetings and one-to-one -one meetings what have you uh, and it's bizarre i have no idea why the europe decided not to charge for attendees and and and, and uh, the us did but once you started that way it's impossible to change it but as a result yes the model is the model is different in the us and i do think europe is catching up and being more sophisticated but but what's, what's clear is the US definitely focuses on, as I say, delegate revenue and content and those planned meetings. Which is so interesting to me because I feel like Europe is ahead of us in so many other ways, especially with regard to technology. I feel like, um, anyway. Well, at the risk of uh, criticizing my American business and my American friends, I think you're right. I think, yeah. I think if you go, uh, any European visiting, uh, shows in the states is always amazed by the lack of build quality and the lack of booths you know pipe and drape versus 
shell schema versus custom build. And we all know that's down to the unions and drainage and the cost. But from a technology perspective, yes, I, I don't know why, but I agree with you. I think the development of the latest technologies and the drive is much more in Europe and Asia than it has been in the States traditionally. Although, you know, the States is not immune from it. There are plenty of good things there. My guess is probably that in the States, you're, we, we already get a lot of good data about our people. We understand because we can see, even if it's manual, what sessions people are attending, what's being discussed, how people are in there. I mean, we tend to monitor that a lot more. Whereas in Europe and in, uh, in Asia, we're grappling. I, I mentioned Fuad de Paris earlier. Fuad de Paris gets over 550,000 visitors. Right? It's got several thousand, uh, it's got six or 7,000 exhibitors. I guarantee none, none of those exhibitors can or want to see all of the 500,000 visitors. Some of them will only need to see two, you know, 50 of them. Some will want to see a thousand of them or whatever, your different numbers and what have you. The job is to make sure they're all matched up. And our problem in Europe has been, we've got these big trade shows where we've got lots of people coming in, but we've not understood enough about the data. And as we've become more sophisticated in thinking what are the next strategic steps and seeing, we found we're less able to understand buyer behavior than we would like. Whereas in the US, albeit in more traditional means, we have a better way of understanding what buyer behavior is. So I, my theory, is that's why technology is developed slightly quicker and slightly more dynamically in, in Europe. Well, and Baptiste, you said earlier that you're competing against Excel spreadsheets. And I, so I used to, my joke when I, I, I worked for four years with a tech startup called Event Collab, it was this fantastic event project management tool that everyone should have been using. Um, long story, but he decided to shut the company down. But I used to say, that my biggest competitor was the same old way. It wasn't another app that did the same thing. It wasn't Basecamp. It wasn't, you know, Trello. It was the spreadsheets and this, the way that that planners are sort of get sort of like embedded in, in the things that they do. But then to also just to go back to the, the hosted buyer thing, I've been on both sides and I find amazing value in it for on both sides as an attendee. I want, to be able to know that I'm going to be able to talk to the person that I want to talk to because if I am going there as a buyer, I am going with the intention of trying to find a certain kind of software or a certain kind of something. And then in the same respect, I'm not having looky loose, just come by the booth, just looking for swag. I'm having like quality, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings um, with people who are truly interested in what it is that we're selling. I think that's spot on. I, I, I really do. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the one-to-one uh, -the -one meeting and the quality of that is going to be what more and more people demand. And I, you know, um, this is why we need, sorry, the matchmaking. This is why we need to get the data and to have like we, the data that we need so we can match people. I still speak with people who do it manually and they have like not a very large show, but like medium size show. And they, and we are sometimes really amazed because they do it manually and they are losing so much time. And I think the, as you said, Megan, uh, the true competitor is the old way. And as said Simon in his article, it's uh, that we should add to the podcast so people can read it. It's uh, we are facing again uh, time. And I always say my clients, where is the most, value for them is not the money. Of course, they have to make money, but it's the time. How much time the platform 
will take to implement. How it's always the time, and so even if they want to use Swapcam or another platform, it's the true competitor is yes the Excel sheet, but the time. And this is what Simon said: we have to produce, and they are always underwater because they have to produce the next show. And I'm amazed by like who's next, a client of us, six trichos a year. And so the team has very few time to just sit down, think, and implement something new because it's just the time constraint is enormous. And I think that's the challenge. This is why um, for technology to enter this and to uh, gather uh, market size, like there is no event leader event tech leader, this event in the US, but mostly make money from hotel, not from event. And there is no like big player in tech like Salesforce. And I think the, the, the challenge for us tech, event technology to get clients is the time. So speaking of time, um, we're over it. <laughs> um, so Simon, do you have a few more minutes? Yeah, I have a couple more minutes. Yeah. Okay, I want to be conscious of, of your time. This is a great conversation. I've always said the best shows are the ones where I end up not even like referring back to the question list because the conversation just goes and everything kind of flows from, from one to the next. But I do have another question that I would like to pose. Uh, it's funny because as you guys were talking, I was, you know, debating which one do I ask because I have a whole bunch of other questions. All right, so I'll go with this one. How do you see trade show trade shows evolving over the next, say, five years? Futurist. We were asking nice Futurist, Simon. What does Simon say? <laughs> um, yeah, if I knew that answer, I would. Uh, no, I, you know, I, there's a couple of things on that. So we we, we debated around it a bit today. I, you know, one of the things I said in the article was. I, I, I'm ashamed about how long the exhibition industry has debated whether digital is a threat to us. Okay, it's not a threat, it's an opportunity. And, and, and as Betty said, then I followed that up by saying the biggest threat is the fact that we repeat the same things again and again and again because that's what we do. And that's part mainly because we're time deadline driven, but also I think a bit of mentality if I'm being, if being honest and harsh. We're fortunate that face-to-face -face media, experiential media, whatever you want to call it, experiences is not going to go away. We've seen that in so many different markets. And I, I'd love to say that's because I think we in the exhibition industry have done a great job. I don't think it is. I think it's just because we happen to be in the right space. You know, it's like we've seen the growth of festivals and other things. We're in a space where experiential is good. And we have a lot of debate now in the industry about whether we're talking about festivalization or experientialize or, or different words. What I do know is face-to-face -face media, B2C and B2B, are not going to go away. They're, they're not. What is going to have to change, though, is how we produce. So do I think, I often use the example, I've got a seven-year-old daughter who I don't think has ever watched TV in her life unless we've made her. You know, she's literally, she, she was able to find things on YouTube before she could read. Right? She's a, and, and she's always on the iPad. And well, That's not true. She's outside playing as well, so I don't want anyone to think she's always... <laughs> <laughs> but when I think of her, you know, in 15, 20 years time, so I'm going a bit longer than your five years, I can imagine her wanting to go to an event. I can imagine her wanting to see the latest technology or the latest machinery or whatever industry she's, she's in or, or, or experience she wants. But I can't imagine her being satisfied with the same pedestrian way we deliver events now, you know, lines and lines and booze and lots of men in suits or people in polo shirts or whatever. I can't see that being the same. 
I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but what I do know is that's the bit we've got to do is we've got to learn what that new experience will be. We've got to keep changing, keep developing digital and data providers opportunities to do that both in learning and in enhancing the experience because the digital bit enhances the live experience. But we've also got to use that to better understand what we can do, whether that's using data to better produce booths, whether that's booths without machinery on because you can do it all with AI or VR or whatever. I don't know. But what I do know is we've got to concentrate on that. And I think that's why we all struggle with the word festivalization or experiential, because people sometimes the old school in us thinks, well, that means we need to add a band or a party or a champagne party. All of which are good things, don't get me wrong, but that's not fully what we mean. It's the experience of how that connection is made and what have you. And I'm sure you've been, if, you go, if you've been to Dreamforce, which is the Salesforce event, not that I like to publicize it, but that's a real lesson in how you can add experiential stuff. It's still a bit old school, but it's really good. Okay, it shows you what you can do is when budget is no option and you don't need to hit a <laughs> exactly. profit margin directly from the show. But nevertheless, we shouldn't bitch about that being the reason it's so good. We should we should acknowledge the learnings and some of the things that you do, some of which are good, some of which are not so good, but, but use that to think about how we better do that. Because what they also do is around the event, they are very focused on how they make people meet, how they connect. Because when we talked earlier, I think we've also got to be clear, there's a difference in my mind, very clear difference between hosted buyer and planned meetings versus matchmaking. And the, the, the two can be very, certainly where we are at the moment, are very different things. You know, planned meetings is all the, the thing and hosting or what have you, whereas the matchmaking is, the, um, is just helping people better find the people they need to find within an event. Um, both of those are what, what Dreamforce does well, as well as producing a concert and as well as putting grass over the street between the two Moscone centres. I agree with you, Simon, because there was a, a report from UFI um, that said that, I don't know, they did a survey and based on the age of the population, they, they say how much experience was important for them. And the young generation, my generation, let's say up to 40, they really want to enjoy the show. They, of course, they have objectives, but they want to enjoy the show. And I, I tend to see a trade show evolving a lot into conferences like uh, content and moving forward to festival a bit. Um, and I've been attending events abroad uh, outside of Europe, Middle East and other like I think in Lebanon. Um, and it was really great be because they have outdoor space. And one of the challenge for show in Europe, I don't know how is it in the US, but uh, you don't have outdoor space. You have the venue and and right after it's it's hard to get more space outside of the venue. So when you want to provide an experience like something like Chile or having a good time doing business, but outside of the venue, it's hard also because of the infrastructure. It's true, but, it's, but I think we can do it within the venues as well. Venues are flexible. We, 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 we can create it. And I think you hit a key word there is content. And again, I would argue the traditional thing, most of my traditional colleagues would go, content, let's put a seminar on. And actually, content's not just a seminar. Content is the outside party. Content is the networking event. Content is the ability to connect and do with it. I think we've got to get a broader understanding of what content is in and around our events. So it isn't just producing the seminar, but you are right. 
producing that extra level of experience around it is definitely what the younger demographic want. Uh, I, I said to the other, the, the, the interesting thing is we all talk about millennials, especially as old people, but there are now more millennials in the workforce than there are non-millennials. So that's a scary thing to understand. Well, in Gen yeah. Z, now they're, you know, they're the last few, two years of graduates, they're even another generation that, but th let's be honest, that those generations are why the meetings and events industry is booming. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's propelling us forward so far from where we were in 2008. I mean, like we, it's, it's night and day, right? And along with that comes uh, increased pricing and all of that um, kind of good stuff as well. Um, yeah. Which, which as a planner, uh, you know, is, is tough to deal with, but we have to evolve with, with budgets, just like we have to evolve with technology and, and using the best of what's out there because we are so time poor. Um, using matchmaking apps, I think is, is brilliant and having a, and having a platform where you can also do your, your lead generation in the same space, I think is super smart. So just one final thing I would say. Course we have to tell us stop telling ourselves we're time poor we're only time poor because of the way we do stuff i know i've said a lot about it and i and i say it as a, as a reason as to why we we don't change enough but i also think it's an, it's an excuse not to do it one of the things i hate is i have so many marketing teams and i did it myself right i can use this as an example it took me ages to drop doing direct mail because i wasn't sure email was going to work this is this is how old i am and, <laughs> And as I look back on it now and I see my teams doing that, that was so stupid. All the stats were telling me email was working well, but I didn't want to let go on direct mail because it was my trusted way of dealing with things and everything had worked. Now for a marketer, they've got 20 different versions of things that are becoming not as useful as they were because there's something that replaces them. And I've got too many marketers, too many team managers, event planners, who, when you ask them, why do you do that? I, I was in a business planning meeting yesterday. I said, why do you do that? They said, well, it's a tradition. It's what we've always done. Yes. This that, is my challenge as well. <laughs> Asking the why to my clients. So I wow. spend a lot of my time telling my teams, you've got to think about what we're, as well as what we're trying to do new, also what we're going to stop doing because that's how we create more time. And actually, most of the things we're doing create more value and more time for us. But that only works if we drop some of the other stuff that we're just doing because that's what we've always did. Absolutely. Fair point. And actually a really good point, I think, on which to, uh, to close out the show. So, uh, but just real quick, I want to ask you, Simon, do you have a new, like, it doesn't have to be new, a tech abit, um, app or gadget or anything that you're, you're hot on these days? Is there something you're using to help with your time management, for example, maybe? Oh, God, I'd love to say yes, but, but, but no. I, do you know, I, I, I travel a lot, so I love the whole um, um, mobile passes and the, the app that's in there. But, uh, I, I, do you know, I, I, I really, this is going to sound simple, but the, the thing I use a lot is Google Maps. Not just, to, you know, because it, yes, it shows me how quick I can get to people, but it also shows me how I can better plan what I'm doing and what have you. But in my workflow, no, I'm afraid the one old-fashioned thing I still have is a notebook. I've been desperately trying to change it to a... Uh, uh, it's it forbidden to use a notebook at SWAT card. Uh, Actually, well, first of all, it, it, it doesn't, so have, it so doesn't have to be a 
<laughs> there are, there's, of course, I can't think of the name of it, but there is a company that makes a, there's a notebook where you write with a pen and it transcribes into an app, which is super right. awesome. But it doesn't have to be work-related, so just as a... Just for you, Simon, to finish, I have two gadgets for you. Right. Uh, you have Pocket. It's an event app where you, uh, it's an event app. It's an app where you can save articles offline. So it's very good when you travel okay. to read all this. And then I, I'm trying to assess where I spend the most time as a CEO. Yeah. And I'm using uh, a free app called Toggle. And every time I do something, I record uh, T. O G G L, and I know how much time I'm 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 saving, how much time I spend in investor meeting, in CEO stuff, in HR, and then it's very good for me to see okay where I'm efficient, where I'm spending more time. So this is two gadget for you, Simon, if you want to use them. Pocket and I'll have a look. I'll have a look on your on your notebook. Yes, if they'll if they'll stick to my notebook, that'll work well. I still use a notebook too. So uh, there's just something about, and it, there's research too. There's something mentally about being able to remember and execute on something that you've handwritten versus something that you've typed. Uh, but I still, I have the iPad with the, the stencil so I can easily write on that. So I'm afraid that excuse is gone for me as well. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. Well, I can't, say enough how much we appreciate Simon you taking the time to be with us and Batiste thank you also for joining us while on holiday um, even more so um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your your time there uh, Simon what uh, how what's the best way for people to get a hold of you uh, just uh, email me at uh, Simon Simon.foster at comexposium.com perfect and Batiste it's uh, Batiste at swapcard.com perfect all right. Well, thank you, listeners. We appreciate you tuning in to episode two of Inside Events, and we will catch you next time. Tweet at us with the hashtag Inside Events, and be sure to subscribe to get each episode as they drop.